Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Gruesome. I'm Connie, here along with my Tamagotchi au pair, Meg. Tonight, we're going to continue our world tour and take a bite out of the Kobe Cannibal, Meg. All right. So Issei Sagawa is known as the Kobe Cannibal and Peng. Um, He is a murderer. He is a cannibal. And he is a free man. That is the craziest thing. The craziest. He spent a few years in a psychiatric unit, but he never served prison time for the actions that he committed as a 32-year-old doctorate student. So, okay, got to tell me about it. <laughs> he's 71 years old. Um, he has been an actor, a speaker. He's written articles, um, restaurant reviews, books about his crime, and a book about the Kobe child murders that happened in 1997. He has written a manga that detailed his murder, necrophilia, and cannibalism and Uh, like everything he writes about is his fetish for eating women specifically tall white women wait so was all of this after the initial like he was like a speaker and all of this afterwards or was this before no this is all he essentially became famous off of his crime he's been making money off of the crime that he committed I feel like Tina and Bob's Burgers Uh. (laughs) but wait there's more. So Vice, um, the media circuit Vice, they did an interview with him in 2011. And it was when I was listening to it, it was hilarious because the interviewer, he legitimately says, all right, I'm just going to hurry up and ask these questions so I can get the fuck out of here because <laughs> he says it straight to him because he this guy is he is mentally insane. Relatable. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would get out of there too. I'd be like, I gotta go. So in this interview, he talks about how his childhood was the best time of his life. He was born prematurely and he's weak and frail and he always has been, but his parents were very loving and attentive and he never had any issues. However... Okay, so what happened? <laughs> right? So during the time that he was growing up, sex was extremely taboo. It was not spoken about. So when he started having his initial sexual urges, you know, at like 11, 12 years old, he didn't know what to do. And he started doing weird stuff to relieve himself, like sex acts with the family dog. What? Yeah. dog. We'll just add bestiality to the list. Uh, I know, I know. So Sagawa has said that he felt as though he wanted to eat people as early as the first grade. He felt this cannibalistic urge after he saw what he said was a handsome classmate's thigh. And he experienced those urges for his entire youth until he was 24 when he first tried to act on them. But... So he, um, he tried to get help. He went to a psychiatrist more than once. After this first time that he tried 
to eat someone. The therapist told him that he was a danger to the public. So he withdrew and kept those urges to himself and just it made it worse. So it's like the psychiatrist was saying like he needed help. Maybe he needed to be like in an institution or something. Yes, he was just exactly. like, nah. So he was like, maybe, what do you know? maybe I don't bring this up to a psychiatrist again. But that's the whole point of going to a psychiatrist. Like yeah. You... I, well, that's why people hold back from psychiatrists too, though. Like you say the wrong thing and they can. They'll oh, yeah, institutionalize can, you. Yeah. Um, that's he, why I don't go to psychiatrists. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he uh he had spoken to another psychiatrist before this one um and she did not tell him he was a danger but she did tell him that if she was going to keep treating him he needed to come into the office because he was doing it over the phone but he was too embarrassed and he couldn't what is the stature of this man oh. like is he like pretty small stature he is four nine <laughs> He is, and he says he's been weak and frail his whole life because he is a tiny baby man. Um, and, <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face. And that's, just... that's why he's attracted to these tall, Western, healthy women. Is they are everything that he is not. My son is four nine. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is as big as a ten year old. Then, so yikes! In 1974, he was attending Waco University. I think that's how you say it. It's W-A-K-O. Uh, and yeah, I would, say, I would say Waco. Yeah. He claims he was dazzled by a German woman's white thighs coming out of her skirt. And he, Me too. <laughs> he stalked her to her ground floor apartment. And like I said, he frequently in every interview he does in all of his books, he talks about how he is attracted to tall, white, European or Western women, especially of like the 50s and 60s, like Grace Kelly, Audrey Hepburn, very like classic beautiful woman. He says women like that seem to trigger his cannibalism. Initially, he just wanted to bite them or gnaw on them, but he said that eating human meat is part of his sexual appetite, and the more pent up he gets, the more he wants to actually eat them. Yes. I don't even know what to say to that. I know. Well, let's just go back to the dazzling white thighs then. Yeah, dazzling white thighs. He stalks this woman and he breaks into her apartment while she is asleep and naked. And his plan, remember, four foot nine, he's going to knock her out with an umbrella, get a knife from the kitchen, and cut her butt cheek off so that he can eat them. So he creeps up next to her and he does not knock her out. Instead, he just touches her belly. What? Well, because like, he couldn't reach her head. <laughs> <laughs> he gets distracted a lot. He is not, this is, you're too little to do this kind of stuff man <laughs> so he touches her Has belly have you ever heard of like chloroform <laughs> i don't not, i don't uh, know it was it's the 70s so maybe i don't know um so he touches her belly and she wakes up and screams and she pushed him to the ground or she she could have put it in a headlock because he's child-sized uh <laughs> But she calls the cops and the police come to the apartment and he is charged with attempted rape because he's not going to be like, no, no, no. I was just going to eat her butt. Not yeah, rape her. I was take a bite out of it. Yeah, but he did not get charged with that. He was just, he was facing charges for that. Part of why Sagawa has gotten away with all of these crimes is because his family is rich or they were rich. They were rich at that time. His dad is the president of a water chemical or he was the president. 
he is dead now. Um, his dad is the president of a water chemical treatment and chemical cleaning manufacturer in Japan. His dad paid a settlement to the German girl. He gave her enough money for her to drop those charges. Oh, hate to see it. Hate to see it. So that was 1974, and we're going to fast forward a few years to 1977. Um, He has finished a bachelor's and a master's program, and he gets accepted into the Sorbonne in France for a PhD program in comparative literature. So he's, like, smart. Like, he's not, like, the typical... Well, when you're that small, you got to have... You got to be packing something, I guess. Oh, my gosh. Yes, he is very smart, which is why he's written so much. He's a doctor of literature. Wow. So he's studying in Paris, and his urges to eat women aren't going anywhere. Uh, They're getting worse, actually. And he said that he felt like his desires to eat women became more of an obligation and less of just something that he wanted to do. Like, he had to do it. He was regularly bringing prostitutes to his apartment, and when they would go to the bathroom to clean up, he would get the rifle that he kept in his cabinet out and try to pull the trigger, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. And he did this for years, until 1981. So four years of him... Just like trying to work up the courage to do it. Essentially, yes. So during 1977, in 1981, he meets Renee Hartfelt and they become friends. She was 5'10". She had... Oh, wow. Yeah, she had dark hair. She was this beautiful Jewish girl. She spoke French, German, and English. She was warm and friendly. And she was kind to Issei Sagawa. She was nice to him. And everyone thought he was weird because he was, is. So he became obsessed with her. And he just interjected himself into her life with the intent of getting to a place where he could victimize her. Part of the reason that he became so attached to her was because he planned the this Japanese dinner for all of his other literature classmates and everyone bailed. No one came to the dinner at his apartment except for Renee. Uh. So that night he attempted to shoot her from behind and he can't bring himself to do it because he's suddenly overwhelmed by, wow, this is essentially presenting itself to me on a platter. So he can't do it. But he been trying to do it for four years and he hasn't been able to. So she mentions to him while they're having their Japanese dinner that money is tight and he has a rich dad. So he requests that she tutor him in exchange for payment in German because he needs to work on his German, he says. So she comes over to do tutoring lessons and he attempts to shoot her a second time. He says the gun misfired, but I think he probably chickened out again and it sent him into this maniacal craze that made him like he had to do it like the next time he saw her he was going to do it because now he's tried twice and missed on the same person you see that a lot with serial killers and you know just like serial rapists in general where if they try so many times and they fail it's like this built up aggression to when they finally commit the crime it's like 10 times worse than what it would have been because it's there's just so much rage and emotion behind it you know maybe that's what happened because the results are very extreme of when he finally does does do this. So two days after that second failed attempt, she comes over to tutor him again and she's reading German poetry aloud at his desk and he quietly comes up behind her and he shoots her in the back of the neck with a 22 caliber rifle. Oh my gosh. It was like his only friend. Yeah, exactly. It was. And he said that as soon as he did it, he realized that he had just done this to someone he cared very deeply about and he said 
said that he thought even about calling an ambulance. But then he thought, don't be stupid. You've been dreaming about this moment for 32 years. That is a direct quote. That's what I was going to ask. Is that a direct quote? Because it sounds a lot like it. That is a direct quote. Ugh. Okay, this part's going to so, get rough. Trigger warning, Tr- cannibalism. Yeah. Coming around the bend. Necrophilia. Um, oh, no. Yeah. The first thing he tried to do was bite through her butt cheek, but he couldn't get past the skin. No, they're <laughs> pretty intense. I, I don't mean, know why people from- think you can just like bite through people. Like you might be and able like, to break skin, but speaking from someone who's like packing on the rear end you just can't <laughs> like it's just not gonna happen you're like look this butt will bite you back right. <laughs> um he went and got a kitchen knife but he couldn't cut past the the booty he couldn't cut past the fat with the knives that he had so he went out and bought a butcher knife and came back and he butchered her he found himself so aroused by the fact that his little cannibal dreams were coming true that he had intercourse with her corpse Mm. afterward he stored parts of her in his fridge and continued to eat raw various parts of her body including Uh. but not limited to the tip of her nose her thighs and her tongue and he photographed Uh. the whole process he didn't even cook it that's what's crazy he didn't cook some of it so that was oh okay he did he had her body over for three days essentially and he was just in his apartment chowing down oh my god not my favorite way to put that sorry but that's what he was doing yeah i don't know any other way you could put it that's exactly what he was doing if you you can watch that vice interview i'll link it he details how and what he ate of renee and he'll he said he talks about how it tasted what his favorite parts were he wrote many books about it it is deeply disturbing Oof. yeah that's gross it's super gross so like i said he um he cannibalized renee over the course of three days and eventually he was like oh man, this body is going to rot because it started to smell. So yep. he dis- And then the fluid start to seep. Well, he kept her in his bathtub with cold water running frequently so that- uh, Like kept her on ice like they do at the restaurants. <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah, it's super gross. He dismembered her and stuffed her into two weekender bags that he had. And keep in mind, again, he is 4'9", under 120 pounds, and he lives in an upstairs apartment. And he just shoved a- woman that's 510 into two bags so how is this little fella gonna get him down he calls a cab and has them carry him down yep yep the cabbie comes and the cab takes him he asks the cab to take him to the bois de boulogne which is a park. It has kind of a secluded lake there. And that's where he wants to go. I wonder why. The cab driver carries the bags to his car and asks him if there is a body in them because they are so heavy. No, he doesn't. Yes, he absolutely did. And Issei told him they were filled with books. It was full, full of books. Well, yeah, because he's 4'9". You're not going to think that he has a body in there. He looks <laughs> harmless. Yeah, and he, he does look just like you could take him out with one swift flick. That's what I was wondering. If he looked like someone you could just <laughs> kick his ass. Uh, he would like it though if you did it. He's real fucked up. Sorry. So the cabbie drops him and his books off by this lake at the Bois de Boulogne. Drops him and his books off by the lake and it is the middle of summer. It's June in France and it's 8pm and the sun is still out and there are people all around this park in France. And this, I didn't think this one through. 
true. No, this tiny little idiot. He pushes these weekender bags down the hill that leads to the edge of a lake in as secluded of a spot he can find in a busy park. But again, he's small and exhausted, you know, from all the murder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he stands on the shore. Issei said that he became distracted by the sunset over the lake and how beautiful it was. I can't even take this guy serious. It's like, obviously he wrote books about it because he's so dumb. And if he doesn't see how ridiculous of a person he is, he should he should be institutionalized. He's an idiot. I hate But that just shows like how far detached from reality he is. Absolutely. Yes. And like how horrible and sadistic of a person if he has just done this to his friend someone he cares about and he's like oh look a sunset yeah yeah exactly he said it was like seeing in color for the first time oh because he had his needs fulfilled i guess yeah sure that probably that checks out oh Okay, so he's distracted by this sunset. However, there was a couple, lovely lady and gentleman, visiting the park, and they saw Issei hulking these bags out of the trunk of a cab and pulling them into the park. And initially, they just brushed it off. But like, look at this weirdo. Yeah, they describe him as a tiny oriental man. That's how they described him. So the tiny man with his suitcases did something to draw their attention. And they watched as he veered sharply across the grass and headed toward the edge of that lake and it was clear to them that he was going to put those bags into the water but Sagawa turned and looked at them and saw them watching him so he panicked and he put them he like slid them under a bush that he was close to and he turned and ran and the couple say that they approach the bushes because now they are obviously curious about what was in these bags that he just ran away from and he was about to sink and they unzipped the first one and found Renee in a bedsheet wrapped up in a bedsheet. Oh, that is... Yeah, and this is how far... It's how far removed from reality is. So Sagawa says that he heard a man from behind him ask if the bags were his, and he said no. So when the man who spoke to him opened the bags and found these body parts wrapped in a sheet, he said he walked away. He simply walked away. But That I, doesn't check out. Yeah, the, the couple story definitely works. But either way, he wasn't arrested until four days later. What? I know. How far could he have gone? Like Back to his apartment. Oh, uh, my God. So he said he was relieved when the police finally found him. And the way they found him was that that couple gave tiny oriental man description. So the police called every cab in France until one cab remembered picking up a man of that description with very heavy bags. Oh, and he said, I even asked, are there bodies in here? <laughs> and there were. So that guy probably uh, has survivor's guilt now. Um, it's one of those things like when you hear, like, I'm sure when he found out the manner of which she died, like, obviously, there was nothing he could have done. But that's still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you imagine if that guy at the park was about to like propose or something? And that's <laughs> he ruined it. I don't know what happened to that couple. I hope they lived like a long, happy life and are still together somewhere. Um. So, anyways, he they arrest him and he goes under psychiatric evaluation. And three three psychiatrists decide, yep, this guy's nuts. He's mentally unstable. He's insane. And they send him to the criminal psych ward. And Sagawa says, if you ask him or you read his recantation, he says that the citizens of France were like, no, 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 you're not treating this guy on our dime. Send him back 
back to Japan and they can deal with him and he was deported. However, Issei's daddy got him a defense lawyer and he was held in France in that psych ward for two years. A French judge deemed him insane, unfit to stand trial and that he should be held indefinitely in the mental institution. In that same one in France. Yes. But while he's there, a Japanese author comes and takes his account of what happened and the author publishes his story. It's called In the Fog by Enhuhiko Tomota. And this story gave him so much publicity that France inevitably was like, get this guy out of here. That is so disgusting. Yeah. So he's deported to Narita, Japan. And when he gets there, he is immediately placed in a hospital in Tokyo where they evaluate him. But they say that he is not mentally ill. He's just a pervert. No, they don't. So I don't don't even understand how you can get to... I mean, yeah, obviously (laughs) he is a pervert, but he murdered someone. So because he's been deported, and I am not 100% on how, how this happens, when you have been tried and then you're deported and have to be tried somewhere else country-wise. I tried reading about it, but couldn't really find any clear answers because this seems like just something that slipped through the cracks. Because he's been deported to stand trial for his crimes in Japan, France drops the charges there so that Japan can pick them up. But the French court documents are sealed and not released to Japanese authorities, so they have no evidence or proof of anything, and Sagawa can't legally be detained in Japan. And these psychiatrists have all agreed that he's mentally stable, so he checked himself out of a hospital on August 12th, 1986, and he has been free since that day. What year was this? So the murder happened in 1981, and this is 1986. Oh my gosh. So how would you extradite someone to a different country but not give the records? I feel like that would be the most important part of the entire equation. I don't know if it's because that he was deemed mentally unfit. And at that point, they were like medical records. I don't. Maybe I, like I said, it just seems like he slipped through the cracks. And there's there are conflicting sources on this. But it's widely thought that his father probably got their own psychiatrist in there to wipe the slate clean and say that he's just a pervert. He's not mentally ill. I don't even understand that. (laughs) Yeah, So he's free. And his parents are now paying his bills again because he essentially has nothing. And then, but wait, there's more. In 1989, a serial killer, Tsutomu Miyazaki, murdered some young girls. And the media flocked to Issei Sagawa's house to ask for his opinion on the case. Because, you know, let's get this other guy who murdered someone's opinion on this guy. And we have to remember that he is a doctor of literature. And this media exposure leads to him writing essays and then being published in various publications. Because I'm sure he is very well written. I'm sure that he yeah. is very colorful <laughs> with his words. And Well, he writes about the same things. And I'll tell you a little bit about it. He has published one or two books per year since 1989. He has published more than 20 books. And they're all weird. His 20th is entitled Extremely Intimate Fantasies of Beautiful Girls. What? And it just talks about his feelings toward women without focusing on the cannibalism in that one. But there are other ones. There's a manga that I did get to see most of that the illustrations are directly depicting what he did to Renee Hardfeld. So in the United States, like I think it was like 1977, there's a serial killer whose name was David Berkowitz and he sold the rights to his story. And that 
that prompted it's called the son of Sam law, which means like you can't directly profit from any of your crimes. But it's very clear they do not have that in France or Japan. Well, I mean, they might now, but you know, yeah, that's true. It was the but I guess if it's not at this point. I guess if he's not like saying this is what I did and it's fan fiction, yeah, maybe that's how he's getting around it. I don't know. So. No one will publish his stuff anymore. And you have to, like, in the 90s, Japan was in, it's like an economic bubble. And TV producers and publishers, they were essentially, like, that's when all, like, the shock TV started coming out of Japan, like, the really strange stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because it got views and views got money and money was less of an obstacle for people. So they were willing to buy into crazy stuff like uh, Cannibal talking about his crimes (laughs) how disgusting for her family so gross yes and i couldn't find anything about her family they probably want to be so far separated from this that well yeah because he's just free he's his parents died in 2005 but right now he is under the care of his brother because we'll circle here you ready for it 2013 Mm -hmm. he had a brain event and his nervous system was pretty much destroyed so he's like a paraplegic now and he has a (laughs) He has a stoma and he can only eat through a tube. So uh, that is the biggest karma. Yeah, just like karma being like, you suck. Uh I wish someone who was four nine would come at me. <laughs> I would just throw one bow, just take him straight. It would But I mean you you let your guard down. I have you know, we had friends growing up that I would have never I we hung out. I would have never been like, okay, they have a sick, sadistic, cannibal fantasy that they're going to shoot me in the back of my neck. While like, you I'm helping you, them with school, right? Yeah, you let your guard down completely. And that is the, not that I think, not that I have any like more or less sympathy for victims, but it always like pains me more when it is someone the victim knows and trusts yeah. because that is and such a sick almost always the case. Thing. Yeah, it's just such a disgusting thing. Yeah, it's awful. Um, before his nervous system was destroyed, he, because he said he still has urges even after that. But did he have any, were there any instances or did they suspect him of doing anything like that again? So apparently because of his like weird macabre celebrity, he has spent the last you know, however many years just cavorting with the kind of women he wants. He said that he spent all of his parents' money on white, tall prostitutes and just living out fantasies. He was in porn that depicted him like gnawing on women. Wait, he was in porn? Yes, he is an actor in a porn depicting him cannibalizing a woman. No. Yep. And he said that he he feels bad. <laughs> Okay. Um, No, he doesn't. And he would like to invite any woman who wants to kill him to step forward, but only beautiful women, because that would be the ideal way for him to die. Sign me up. I will buy the plane ticket. I will do it. I will. (laughs) I'd like to volunteer as tribute. Um, but he would be into it. So I just think we throw him in a lake. Like you can just I think we just put him in a bag and kick his little tiny ass down a hill. Like (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> just like you don't, I don't even think get it to... should be i don't think it should be a beautiful woman i think it should be a 610 gorgeous man that just <laughs> like the hottest man you've ever seen <laughs> yeah one that completely like just demasculates him like and he picks him up over his shoulder and just breaks his neck that's awful and there are many many times that we're gonna cover cases where we're like the justice system failed but the justice but I- system Failed. I don't know if we're going to see a bigger fail than this little asshole. Yeah, he sucks. I just don't. I'm sorry I had to share this story with you guys. God. I hope that the only thing they feed him through that tube is vegan food. (laughs) No meat for you. You creep. Uh, I wonder if, because you know how a lot of serial killers, they take trophies and they take pictures and they do videos so they can relive it and relive it and relive it. That's probably what he was doing with all of this stuff, only... So he did get rid of her clothes, but he kept her pants. And he has, he still has all of the pictures he took. How? I don't know. If you, in that interview will link, you see them. You see her body. You see the apartment. He walks you through where each thing he did was. Like, he shows you the cabinet the gun was in. He shows you the desk that she was sitting at. He shows you and talks. And he's so just blasé about it. Like, it's not a big deal. He's like, yeah, this is what I did. I don't speak Japanese, so it was all subtitled. Um, But he seemed pretty blasé about it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So obviously we'll post some pictures of all this stuff to the Instagram, but geez, you know, we're really living up to the name. We're just hitting the <laughs> ground running with with the gruesome stories for you. We just- I've never I've never seen I guess like mentally I can see kids who have had trauma and sexual abuse. They grow up to be rapists and serial killers. Not that that makes it any better, but cannibalism and necrophilia are the two things that I cannot wrap my head around. I he don't said understand. It was just like a fetish for him. Like the cannibalism became a fetish maybe because he was sexually repressed as a child. He said that when he was a kid, this is creepy too. He was like, because he was tiny and he would play this game with like his family where his uncle would put him and his brother in like a big stock pot and say he was a giant and he was going to eat them. And he remembered feeling excited by that. And he said when he would read Hansel and Gretel, like the witch fattening up the children, he would get excited by that. So he was like also excited by the idea of him being eaten. I think so. Yes. But he always in all of his interviews and all of his articles, it's always talks about him doing the eating but i think he would probably be into it i don't know he's drain damaged he's messed up man oh my god that one's rough that's rough it's disgusting i know i told you when uh, i was like i hope you're ready and you told me you had sushi and i was like perfect (laughs) i know Uh, what is the sushi called when it's raw fish sashimi Mm, yep i'm glad i didn't have that i don't i don't know if i'll ever be able to have it again i don't know i not i i'm trying to think of a way to say this without sounding like a psychopath but i don't know what the bacteria factor is in flesh if it's something you could eat because you know if you eat raw beef you get sick is human flesh the same way there's a um it's papua new guinea Uh, I believe the disease is called Kuru, but essentially this tribe 
Um, they believe that when you eat the flesh of your enemy, you absorb their power. Okay, I remember hearing that before. Yeah, um, but it also drives you insane. So <laughs> you probably you die from it. If I remember correctly, I don't don't quote me on that. But I, it's definitely called Kuru. It happened in Papua New Guinea. Google it. <laughs> Mm. I always have the extreme, you know, like if you're like, okay, if I'm stuck on it, if my plane crashes, like, could I do it? And I think in like those situations, it's that's a little different than being like, I have no, to. No, my husband has this awful thing. He always asks everyone. And it's always like, hey, if you could eat a person with no repercussions, would you do it? And he just wants to know the answer because he is also mentally ill. <laughs> But I'm always like, no, I would not. I would never. And he's like, I don't know. Maybe you would. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't. Not even. I think I would if it was a means of survival. Like if it were a means of survival, I think I could. Like the Donner Party. But I would be gagging the whole time. I gag now if the meat is like a cheap cut of beef. So I don't (laughs) know. Like, Yeah, I I can't eat a steak rare. So I doubt I would be able to eat a a people. No, and I don't even like, you know, like if you get a paper cut and you like stick your finger in your mouth. I don't even like the taste of that. No, no, it tastes like pennies. (laughs) (laughs) So in Papua New Guinea, people were getting kuru because they were eating essentially people's brains, but there are prions, which are like little infectious proteins found in human brain tissue. And because they ate the brains of dead people as like a ritual, they contracted this very rare disease. Ew. No, brains are a no. I know there are a lot of like the, um, you see that in tribes that have like not been like aboriginal. Yeah. And yeah, you see like cannibalism in some of them. But I know I, I remember. I don't feel video. like they do it for like an erotic thing. It's like a means of survival for them. It's just something they've always done. Yeah, it's like if you you, you don't waste. Yeah, exactly. Ugh, gross. Ugh. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, now that we have successfully traumatized you again, <laughs> what is this third week in a row? Fourth week in a row. Fourth week. Well, no, third week, because we did two episodes. Oh, yeah. You're right. Two episodes. But we're going to be coming in hot next week with our very first serial killer. I'm ready to hear your serial killer tale. Yay. Well, not yay, but you know. That's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening to Gruesome True Crime with me, Connie, and Meg. We appreciate every single one of you. We truly do. If you actually like us and you're not just trying to seduce and murder us, you can follow along or see extras from the show on our Instagram at Gruesome Podcast. Or if you want to tell us our skin would make a nice lampshade or if you have follow-up questions about the episode, follow the form on our website, gruesomepodcast.com and email us. We love hearing from you guys. You can listen to Gruesome at the links listed on that website, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you normally get your podcast fill. Thank you again. Be sure to subscribe. Check your back seat before you get into your car. And remember that on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. <laughs>